Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to the Binge Movie Podcast. My name is Rebecca Olarte. And today we are without Jason. Uh, he is in Toronto for the International Film Festival. If you want to follow along with what he's been watching, you can follow him on Twitter. He's at Excess Faggage. He's already watched a lot of movies, uh, The Birth of a Nation, Raw, American Honey, Loving, and he will send a uh, tweet as soon as he's done with his um, very, um, well, you know how he is, his reviews. Um, they're fantastic. But today I have something interesting for you. I was able to speak with the director of the new movie, Kicks. It's coming out this Friday. Uh, Director Justin Tipping, it's his um, feature debut. Um, He's a previous AFI grad and the director of the acclaimed short film, Anani. Uh, We sat down last week and talked a little bit about Kicks. Um, Kicks is a story about Brandon, um, a 15-year-old kid who saves up his money to buy a brand new pair of Kicks, hoping that these shoes will help him get the respect and attention he deserves. He spends the next day basking in the newfound glory of these dream shoes. But the glory is short-lived when Brandon is attacked in a parking lot and the shoes are stolen right off his feet. Let's play a clip from the movie. I'm from East Bay. Those are my best friends. We do everything together. Girl, can't you see me in the studio? You in a closet with your fat ass. Sometimes I feel like everybody cooler than me. Maybe because I'm small. Can't play pickup. Can't pull no girls. Hey, 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 Will Smith's son, look a little boy. Come here. These cost more than your life. Those is tight. Hey, where'd you get your shoes? Damn. So Justin and I sat down and talked a little bit about kicks, being from the East Bay, um, what that means, what it means to represent your hometown, um, and working with a a diverse group of actors. Uh, Let's go ahead and listen to the interview, and then I will uh, see you on the other side. Um, well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today um, about your new film, Kicks, which opens on September 9th. And you really set a time and place for this movie with the music, the fashion, uh, appearances by Bart. Mm-hmm. Um, did you feel a responsibility for authenticity, since you're from the Bay Area? Did that weigh on you? It did. I actually felt a lot of pressure, because um, for me, you know, being raised by the Bay and in the East Bay specifically there's like such a specific culture and um, community and um, yeah there's like a definitely like in in going back and wanting to tell my story it was like well this naturally I knew the world so I was going to tell the story and um, it was important to me in a way that it became a character of itself Mm -hmm. in and of itself like that East Bay and everything was a character while I was while I was developing it so and then there's always the pressure on the other end of like did I capture that authenticity yeah. um, are people going to get it are people going to um, you know how are they going to feel about it so definitely f- feel like a sense of pressure just because it's like your hometown your hometown yeah. yeah do you consider this like a love letter to the East Bay yeah definitely it's definitely like a like a like a weird like <laughs> um, cathartic like yeah let me write you a poem let it's me beautiful. write a poem to the east let me write you a poem let me let me write you a poem like place that raised me um, that's beautiful and it shows like your expertise and 
just like the nuance of the different neighborhoods really really shows it's not like I'm making a movie about Oakland and it's you know it's San Francisco to the side or something you know it's like <laughs> yeah. very it shows that you um, you really care and, and that it's very important to you I was also like I want to make this beautiful like even though we're dealing with like hard tough subject matter it was always like I'm just, just gonna, I want to make it look beautiful like that's how kids see the world anyway yeah definitely um I don't, I don't like when people try to, like, layer on, like, I want you to feel sad and, and layer on, like, portray things and that, like, like do, like, a double layer of make it feel miserable. Because mm-hmm. um, that's what the expectation is. But anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's like it, you show, like, a tough life, but in a, in a really cinematic, beautiful way. And it's also, but it also, like, doesn't glorify a lot of the things that mm-hmm. happen in the movie. It's like right. it has like a very authentic point of view of like this is what life is like, but it's also beautifully shot and amazing looking. It, it opens up with uh, the main character Brandon. He has like a quote about space and wanting to be in space. Mm-hmm. And you're introduced to the astronaut character um, who you see throughout the movie. I was wondering if that's something that like you were thinking like boys of that age relate to space, or is that more about how Brandon is kind of alone? Not alone, or because he has friends, but like introverted and just kind of. His personality. I think you just spoke to two points that go kind of ha- went hand in hand for me when thinking about it, um, which were one on the visual side. Uh, for me, I think the astronaut has some like semiotic weight that's associated with imagination and innocence mm-hmm. because I think to keep harping on masculinity and the themes in the movie, but there's like this trope in boyhood, like stories of like what do you want to be when you grow up, and, like. Mm-hmm. The, Boys like an astronaut, um, which is also a problem. Like, why did why does my head go to like boys think of astronauts? Um, it, <laughs> that's a whole other. <laughs> um, but that's another story to tell. Um, and it does, you know, there's something really sad to me about seeing an astronaut in public space because it is representing his loneliness and mm-hmm. just how much of an outsider you could feel like. Um, but then on the story level. Um, for me, and I always say, like, if you, someone else took something away from it and it was personal, then, like, that's probably a better answer. But um, it was definitely his machismo, or, like, what he thought it meant to be a man, was, was the metaphor, I think, I was going for, in the sense that, you know, he shows up, again, when he, he after he gets beaten, he helps him stand up. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, maybe this is guardian angel. But then he's there with every other big decision, every other big decision is a very dark slippery slope where he picks up the gun and then he mm-hmm. goes into the house and and then at the end ultimately you know we kill him off the astronaut because to me the idea his inherent idea of what it means to be a man in masculinity is is wrong and flawed so that has to be shed and like that's the real rite of passage mm-hmm. like he so he does get it hidden and he stands up for himself but like his innocence is dead, like, is gone, and hopefully he's realized that, you know, he is, does not need to become Flacco to mm-hmm. prove his value in the world. Uh, so you, you, you're mentioning a masculinity and what it, what it means to be a man and, and how the decisions he makes, um, how that's a big turning point uh, for Brandon in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I was wondering if there was uh, thought about how women fit into this movie and the, and the characters that you have, or if there was like a, a women and how they relate to these um, boys in their life. 
sort of yeah. in the backdrop. Yeah, um, there was. It's uh, from the beginning. It was like, oh man, here we go. I'm gonna be like tackling this, you know, this world steeped in hypermasculinity, and through the lens of fifteen year old boy, with friends that are both fifteen year old boys, mm-hmm. and that's inherently the male gaze is going to sure. be uh, there to begin with and also I think how the part of the goal was to point out all how the ridiculousness of the idea so part of a big reason I think how, how we define the social construct of a man is how we, how we treat women and how we talk about women and that's um, as you see the boys are all talking about bragging about how they've been with girls and clearly no one has <laughs> but you know we're taught like for some reason that like, you're supposed to speak that way um, and I also knew was aware that like there were going to be kind of ancillary things uh, like uh, like characters along the way that didn't have the trajectory of his arc mm-hmm. so every time and it was weird because every time I like, and, like knew this right but I wanted to be authentic to the world and what, mm-hmm. how they react so I would, I would almost in every scene um, tell the girls to act like boys and so like when Cameron gets in with a basketball um, the girls the girls like you won't hit him you won't hit him like she's antagonizing like mm-hmm. violence like inciting violence but I was like you know I was like he, he's gonna call you a bitch and you, but you call him a bitch back like you just have the last word and they were both she was like from East Oakland like never acted before and like oh, just cool. like that was completely improv Oh really? And they just went off on each other because, like, <laughs> I told her, "Don't let him, don't like be submissive or whatever." Mm-hmm. So it was, it, I know it's small, but those were things that I was going for. And the the other character that I know is not a character, but for me, it was like a very big character. Is his mother, mm-hmm. and you only meet her through his voiceover in the beginning of like, "My mom says this, my mom says that, my mom uh, saved up all my money." And so she's there in the back of his mind, and he's wearing his mom's slippers yeah. through the majority of the movie. But I think that is like the strongest female presence, and the tragedy is like the like what happens when you don't have a strong female voice of reason. And it's true to you know the reality of the situation and circumstances that the cycle of violence is intertwined with the cycle of poverty in the sense that you know the. The mom to me is not never a bad mom, but she can't be there mm-hmm. like many moms. And if she's at work, then and he needs you know emotional support and can't be there, and they can't afford daycare, right. then it's high cost of being poor. And now what? He's going to go to his uncle, who has like this worst advice ever, <laughs> although it might be true to him. Right. Um, like that's that's the reality of the situation. It wasn't just. I mean, I do also think that when you're a teenager, that's sometimes how it feels like peanuts or something mm-hmm. yeah. like it's just like you know absence of adults sometimes where you're just like tunnel visioned um, but I think yeah yeah yeah. Like the, the female characters that are there even from uh, the character that, that hits on Brandon like they are very strong um, and that, that showed and it was, that, was, that was great to see the thoroughness of the characters took me on a, a real emotional ride I think that like oftentimes you, you're a movie's presented in this character's good and this character's bad, but you really outline, you know, kind of how everyone is kind of a blank slate and these things happen to them in their lives and, and, it, and it changes the decisions that they make. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it, it makes them really relatable and really human and it makes stories of like you know someone got shot for their shoes like not just a story about someone got shot for their shoes and like really opens up um, was that important to you when when you were kind of writing this out or yeah definitely um, one I think it one I think it, what you just spoke to really infuriates me when when reporters in the media are dismissive or condescending mm. about like violence over sneakers when they're like and I can't believe this fight happened over you know a pair of sneakers because yeah. just just pretending being condescending and, and acting like kids that want sneakers are stupid doesn't help the problem at all right um, like you you have to be aware of the fact that they're in their, this social context it's like more it's a piece of art mm-hmm. and fashion and other things just like how a Tiffany's bracelet could be de- seen mm-hmm. something or a Rolex could be seen something somewhere else mm-hmm. um, and if you can f- but you know if you can f- afford them fine does mm-hmm. someone need to deserve to die over them no and so the other the flip side of you know even me getting beat you know and stomped out like I was thinking about like, well, what did they go through to like to drive them to that point? Because mm-hmm. they've probably gone through way more than I have to drive someone to, to the point where they need to like exact revenge on the world by just like channeling it through violence. And so I think it's definitely a more complex situation yes. in these in these settings where it's like that's why it was important that f- for me, Flacco had a kid mm-hmm. and also helped speak to you know this kind of a film of a bunch of boys either forced to be men or pretending to be men and they're not really ready mm-hmm. or aware of it and um, and so I, I was definitely aware of that and also also aware that like I think there's a it was important that Flacco was a dad and Uncle Marlon was a dad and a dad in the sense that they were both conscious loving parents because mm-hmm. um, yeah. usually it's the opposite and at least what I've seen in like the the, the genre um, you know of mm-hmm. like the mother's always there mm-hmm. oh but, right um, and the guy the, the father's always absent but um, and I think that for me Flacco having a kid, Jeremiah, Jay, as he's called in film, um, was definitely like a way to show this cycle in the sense that Jay, it all starts with Jay, and Jay could become Brandon or he could become Flacco, and mm-hmm. Brandon ultimately becomes Flacco and realizes he has become the thing he hated, mm-hmm. and Flacco could become Uncle Marlon, and hopefully by the end, you know, Jay's decision not to give his dad the gun, mm-hmm. he almost makes the most mature decision as right. a man. And mm-hmm. he's the youngest kid, like six. <laughs> and Brandon puts down the gun, and Flacco, he could probably beat Brandon to death, really, or just go grab the gun and kill him. Right. Um, but he doesn't, and he apologizes to Jay. So for me, it was at least a bittersweet hope to, like, say, look, we can't end the cycle and they can choose the better path. What made you go down the path with how those two both kind of react to the situations that they have? They both have an opportunity to, like, end the story, um, and they Mm -hmm. don't. And uh, that leaves it really interesting and open-ended. Was that kind of like your original plan going in? 
Yeah, I mean, that was the original plan, was like, I don't want to kill anybody. But then, after like draft after draft, you're definitely like, but should somebody be dying? Should somebody die? But and I'm like not that guy. So like, like no, 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 no. Why? Why would anyone have to die? But it was hard to figure out a way to end it that felt natural mm-hmm. without resorting to someone shooting someone. Um, but it was that was always the intent that no one would get shot except for the astronaut. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but it was yeah, it was difficult to arrive to that point. The theme here that sort of parallels another upcoming movie, um, Birth of a Nation, which is like someone can only be pushed so far until violence sometimes seems like the only reaction that they have. Um, and then I was kind of wondering if, if, if you would think that it would be like kind of the same long thread of like institutionalized racism and like poverty and that creates communities that like Brandon and, and Flacco are in as well as, you know, that have been around for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. Um, do you see it as a as a? Do you see your movie as a, a testament about race, um, or um, class? I know we we mentioned like the like reporters talking about shoes and how it's like a very privileged way to sort of dismiss an issue that seems trivial. Right. Um, but so do you see this like um, as like a a piece in in, a, in this conversation about race and class and struggle in that way? Um, yeah, like on an implicit level, like like big picture, um, yeah, I think that race and class go hand in hand in America too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, communities like, you know, there's like good parts of Richmond and there's bad parts of Richmond. All my friends are, grew up in Richmond, but the bad parts are bad for a reason, right? And mm-hmm. oh, bad parts of Oakland are bad for a reason, which... There are both these like two port cities where a lot of people came from the south and worked, and once the war was ended, the economy left. Mm-hmm. There's you're left with like all kinds of institutionalized racism, mm-hmm. which is a creates you know the circumstances that the kicks kids are in, mm-hmm. which is a tragedy to me to begin with from the start, where it's like they are all born into this world that we that America created right um, and this is a rea- the reality of the situation um, and uh, and I think that the history of America and I would talk about like the discourse period is, is the history of blacks and whites mm-hmm. and their struggle like I mean from the inception of America aside from Native Americans but we just apparently decided that they're not a part of American history right <laughs> but like so, you know, being also being a, a person of color, like, you have to, f- I feel like all minorities or, or anybody that's been disenfranchised or anybody that's been marginalized in a way needs to, like, affirm my identity, like, within the tapestry of America. Absolutely. Because, uh, and be together around those situations. Because, like, the stitching of that tapestry is essentially the struggle of the black experience mm-hmm. like that's where I kind of start it all starts from there so so yeah I mean it also also speaks to this predominantly all, all African American cast mm-hmm. I mean there's like you know a Filipino guy and Egyptian girl but, you know Brandon's half Guatemalan but in America it's all perceived as sure. this is everyone's black and um 
that's fine, but and but you're, you're just reminding me also how hard it was to cast, like how hard it is to make a movie like this. Oh, really? And to cast a movie, um, one, it was almost impossible to. It's almost impossible to get finance because there's no. It's all people of color, a rated R, and it's coming of age, and all oh, fin- right. financiers want to figure out, you know, how they're going to make their money back, and they didn't have room for like celebrity, so. And then even going in and, and saying, like, oh, well, originally, like, Rico was going to be Hispanic, you know, and then if Brandon, if the lead was mixed, his uncle could have been a different race. But um, finding, like, authentic actors and people of color in, like, the just period that, like, are even know that they can be actors mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. like, minuscule to none compared to, you know, this, like, system in place. Yeah. Which is really crazy, and hopefully that changes. That's I mean that's really good to know. You know, as like um, you know, we watch movies um, for our podcast, and we wonder like why don't things get made, and why are the, these things don't happen. We you know have our guesses, but knowing that it, there really is a lot of caution on the side of uh, financing side when it comes to these. Sorts yeah, of things. well, that's why Matt Damon is saving trying the real oh, man. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> that's Chinese. That's Chinese finance, right? I believe most of it is, but it's like they you can literally break down international sales and look at a name and be like, okay, like Matt Damon will guarantee this much money internationally. Yeah. So it's still like like a business as much as it is, it is an art. But the sad part is like the people behind you know, the content and creating it can change, like, the the narrative. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, people people get too afraid of, of taking chances, and so... Um, well, Justin, thank you so much um, for talking to me. Um, I do have one shoe-related question. Okay. Uh, have you seen the leaked photos of the new Hardens? Wait, no, can I see them? Okay. Can I show you? <laughs> the Harden, James Harden? James Harden, yeah. It's supposed to come out um, in December... Um, photos were leaked last night. I re- honestly can't tell if it's a joke, but it has not seemed. It's not. Does not seem like a joke. Um, oh my god! Is it like is it like a beard on the shoe? <laughs> that would be awesome. They look like this. What the heck? <laughs> it's supposed to be like a work boot tennis <laughs> shoe. <laughs> um, He's been getting roasted harder than the curry. Oh really? Those. Yeah. So that's some wow. Good news for yeah, curry fans. Take some pressure off the bay. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, thank you again so much for talking to me. Yeah. Thank you so much. So that's it. That's what we have for you this week. Um, next week, Jason will still be in Toronto, um, but you can follow him again on Twitter. He's at Excess Faggage. I am at Fight Balance. Uh, be sure to subscribe if you enjoy the Binge Movie Podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks so much for listening. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end, that's amazing. There, there goes, goes the, the binge. binge.